My own story is that even though I was raised in church, um, I had no real connection to God. Um, raised by Christian parents, in church every Sunday, um, knew all the Bible stories, Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, my brother and sister were saved. Um, but until I was 10 years of age, there was no connection to God. It was just the practice of religion, I guess you would say. Until the day when I was 10, that my eyes were open and I came to understand the gospel, uh, that I was a sinner and that I needed Christ and I had to choose for Christ to come in my life and there was a very real experience of salvation at 10 years of age and uh, my heart was so opened that night and my eyes were so opened that there was an incredible sense of a connection with God um, hey I think the pulpit mic maybe needs to be turned off um, as long as mine's picking up, yeah. Um, and it was like, wow, I didn't know what I was missing until I found it. And then when I looked back, I realized that the one thing that characterized my life is that I was not connected to Christ. Um, and after that experience, obviously through salvation and being taught in a church uh, to live in that relationship every day, then I began to grow and uh, was connected to the church in a way that I, I hadn't been before. And, uh, you know, churches, the church I was raised in, in our church is what it ought to be. It's a place of encouragement, but it's also a place of challenge to grow and to be spurred on. And then eventually at 17 years of age, um, just uh, a very vivid experience of God's calling on my life uh, to enter into full-time Christian ministry and a number of years of preparation for that and then living that out for several decades now. <laughs> uh, I turned 58 this week, so uh, uh, I was saved when I was 10. I was called when I was... 17 and I uh, started pastoring my first church when I was 25 so um, God has been good and um, you know the fullness of experience that Christ wants us to have is this that we would know him in a personal relationship uh, we would walk with him on a daily basis that we would be in the midst of a group of people a church where uh, we're, we're loved, we're cared for, we're challenged, where we walk with each other and we help each other to grow. And then there is no greater joy than living in His purpose, which is an eternal purpose. Uh, you know, and I would just share this with you. If you're living for any other purpose, it's, ultimately it's not worth it. Someday it's going to end. If there's not an eternal component to what you're doing and investing your time and your energy and your talents, uh, 
end. And, and I, I think part of what God's doing in our church is to bring us to the point where we uh, bring people to the place to say, we want to give you an opportunity, a platform, and you know, the, a means of having an eternal impact on the world around us, which, which desperately needs it. Um, and I feel like to help us get where we need to be, there needed to be a directional statement, a, a purpose statement, something that was concise, clear, and compelling. And so our, our, our directional statement that from this day forward that says, when we think about where, am I, where are we going and what, how do we need to make decisions in the church? What do I need to be doing with my personal life? It would be this statement that we exist to connect the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause. We exist to connect the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause. And for me in my life, I was blessed to have people at each one of these three aspects of that. There was... There were not only parents, but there was a pastor that shared the gospel with me. There were, there were Sunday school teachers that put up with the way I behaved. Uh, if you ask any of my Sunday school teachers, was Daryl Smith a sinner? Oh, much more so than ever. He, they thought I was a saint, for sure. Uh, I was one of those kids. We call them deacons kids. But anyhow, anyhow. Uh, but there were people in my life that connected me to Christ. There were people that connected me to church that taught me a, a life, uh, a, a youth group that was so vital in my spiritual formation. And then a, a church that uh, prepared me and encouraged me as I prepared for ministry and gave me uh, a model, uh, a framework uh, to do ministry for 30 plus years now. And as I said, no greater joy. So I've been blessed to have people that connected me when I was disconnected with Christ, his church, and his cause to those three areas. Uh, the fullness of life, of experience that is offered to us by God through Christ Jesus is that we would be connected to Christ, his church, and his cause. Sometimes we shorten this little directional statement and we just say connecting people to life connecting people to life and the life is a summary of being connected to Christ his church and his cause as we live our lives we will encounter people in each of these three areas We've talked about this circle of influence around us. It includes our family, the people we work with, the people we live around, the people we go to school with, all kinds of people in our lives. People we're friends with on Facebook. We're connected with them to some extent. Um, but the people that are in our sphere of impact or influence uh, are maybe at diff different points. Well, let me just say this, ask you this morning, as, as I've described that, where are you? Where are you in the journey of being connected to Christ, his church, and his cause? I think, I think we really have to think for just a moment this morning, uh, 
where am I? Where am I in that process? Have I, have I found a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or am I disconnected to him? Am I walking with him daily? Am I connected to the church in, in a commitment and an investment of time and energy and service and all those other ways? And then am I giving of my time, my talents, and my energy for an eternal purpose, a cause? So think for just a moment, where are you? I mean, I have to ponder, where am I? But I would want you to ponder where you are also. But in the midst of our lives, I'm just talking about our daily lives, there are going to be people that we encounter who are disconnected in different points here. Some of the people we are going to connect with or should connect with are disconnected to Christ. They've never made a commitment to Christ. They're living, but it's, it's, a, it's a life that will end someday because it's not eternal through Jesus Christ. There's some people we will encounter that are not connected to his church and the encouragement and, and love and support uh, in this place. And then there will be some people that are connected to Christ. They're connected to the church but they haven't taken that next step to say, I'm going to be connected to his cause. I'm going to give my life. You know, and hopefully we as a church give people opportunities to do that however you serve. Uh, and, but it doesn't even have to be within the four walls of this church. I don't even mean to imply that. Uh, I don't know what that looks like for you because there's so much need in our world but we have to inspire and equip people to say, I'm going to give my life because someday this life will end and I want my life to count. To live the American dream apart from Christ and his cause is to give your life for too little. It's not worth it. So give your life for something that makes an eternal difference. And we have to, we have to know how to do that as a church. So you're going to encounter people in your circle in all three of those areas. And so when we challenge you to connect people to life, you have to picture people at different places. The classic example for me would be the Apostle Paul because there were people in each one of these areas in Paul's life that connected him to Christ, that connected him to church, his church, and connected him to Christ's cause. And I thought it was kind of interesting. And uh, if you turn, you can turn in your Bibles or it's going to be on the screen. The, the person that connected, uh, and he's not even Paul at this point, he's Saul, who connects Saul to Christ as a man by the name of Ananias. And he, he picks up in the story of the conversion of Paul in Acts chapter 9. We're just going to read this, and I want to leave time for David at the end, you know, two, three minutes maybe. Uh, to say just a few words in whatever language we speak uh, over there. Um, but if you read the first nine verses of Acts 9, uh, Paul is encountered by Jesus on his way to persecute Christians in the city of Damascus. Christ appears in a great light. There is a voice. Uh, Saul is blinded. And he is told to go into the city of Damascus and there he will be told what to do. Three days pass. Verse 10, it says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. I mean, you need to listen up if God calls your name. You understand what I'm saying? This is not for somebody else. No, he just called your name, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. That's always a good way to address God when he calls your name. Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And I love this, what God says to Ananias. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. Now, this kind of puts you in a box if you're Ananias. Because God said, you know, I've, seen, I've shown him the vision. Ananias is coming. Now, God's going to have to talk Ananias into this. But it kind of boxes you in when God says there's really not a plan B. Ananias is going. Okay? Jonah, we can go through a whale. We can, we can do it several ways here. We can make it hard. We can make it easy. However you want to do this, but you're going. All right? Inquired the uh, anyhow in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he may receive his sight. And I'm just as tickled by Ananias's response. Then Ananias answered, "Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your servants, your saints, in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all." who call on your name. Ananias feels the need to inform God of who Saul is, which is also humorous, but we would do the same thing. God, are you aware this is a really bad man? But the Lord said to him, go. And he projects this future on him that Paul doesn't even know about. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God says, I have a great cause for him to be involved in. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Um, Obviously in the story, Ananias is afraid to go. And many times we are afraid uh, to involve ourselves in people's lives, to be a part of the connection that they would have with Christ. And you ask the question, why Ananias? And the only answer I, I know is that Ananias was in Damascus. Why did Jesus appear? He could have appeared anywhere. I don't know, maybe it's 100 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. He could have appeared with him at any point along there, but he appears right outside of Damascus so that the blind Saul is led into the city. Why does he wait for then, and why is it that Ananias is called to be the connecting point to lead him to cross the line of faith? And the only thing I can say is Ananias was there. He was in Damascus. Maybe Surely there were other Christians, because... Saul is going to arrest them, so there had to be more than Ananias. But my point being, there are some people that are just in your, your sphere of influence, of geography, however you want to put it. You're there. 
You are God's man or woman for the moment. They need someone to connect them to Christ. Ananias did not see all that God would do in Saul's life, but God projected that out to him. And he and Ananias, when you see this testimony told later in Acts um, 22, Ananias tells Saul what it is that God has called him to do. You say, why? Because God could have explained all of that on the road to Damascus. God wants there to be personal connections to him in and through the body of Christ. God, God, could, have, God could have taken care of all of this on the road. But God said, no, I need to connect you with someone. And I need to use someone to be the connecting point. And I think it's significant that Ananias lays his hands on him. That's a connecting point. It's not said in the scripture, but who do you think baptized Saul that day? Had to be Ananias. I mean, that's a connecting point. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess you can baptize yourself. <laughs> but generally, there's somebody else that has to baptize you to lay you down and pick you up. There needed to be somebody that walked with Saul across the line of faith so that he could commit his life to Christ. Ananias is that person. There are people in your life that need a connecting point to Christ. And you need to be there. Uh, but Paul also, Saul also had a connecting point to the church. It becomes a man by the name of Barnabas. If you turn over in your scripture, just a, two chapters to chapter 11, or it'll be on the screen, verse 19. Uh, so at this point, Saul is connected to Christ. And we have every reason to believe he was walking with Christ in a daily relationship. I will tell you, though, something pretty strange here. That characterizes the next 13 years of Saul's life. You kind of get this idea, boy, Jesus appears to him. He gets saved. He's baptized. He's called. And, and he does initially preach some in Damascus and also in Jerusalem but then 13 years pass, and you go, you kind of get this idea he just started jumping out there to change the world, and it's not really the case. When you put together the chronology of not only the book of Acts, but also Paul's letters, there's these gaps of years. And so he starts in Damascus, but we know from Galatians that he ends up in the desert in Arabia. He goes, he visits Jerusalem, but he ends up in Tarsus, which is his hometown, and he's there. I don't know. There's not any sense that he's involved in a church. He's not involved in ministry. Saul's just in Tarsus. Those were his home people. You know, that's where he was at. That's where he was from. I think he was processing uh, this call on his life and what God had done. There needs to be somebody in his life that connects him to a body of believers, and it's Barnabas. Notice the story. It happens in, in Antioch in verse 19 of Acts 11. Uh, it says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. That's in north Syria. 
preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenist, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. A great number. And so there's going to be a church formed here. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. That's the home church. And notice what they did. And they sent out Barnabas as far as Antioch. So Barnabas, and we don't have time to tell his story, but he's connected to the church at Jerusalem. He has the nickname of the son of encouragement. Uh, That's just kind of, that was his personality. That's who he was. Brother Barry, he loved people. He loved people. And uh, relationships were more important to him than maybe to other people. And uh, so it's natural that when they say, man, there's just, God's just exploding in Antioch. Who are we going to send up there to check it out? Boom. Barnabas is our man. And so Barnabas goes, and notice it says in verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the church. And then here it is in verse 26. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus. I looked it up on the map. It's about 50 miles as the crow flies, probably about 75 miles walking uh, the Roman highway there to seek Saul. What's Saul doing? Don't really know, just hanging out in his hometown 13 years after he'd been saved. Uh, And it says in verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, so that it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Barnabas has a part of this exploding work in Antioch and uh, he decides in the midst of it that he needs some help. And not only did he need help, I think Saul needed to be connected to a body of believers and we don't even know that there was a church in Tarsus. No no sense that that Saul is in a part of a, a fellowship of believers. Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him and connects him to the church. There are some people in our lives that are disconnected to the church that we're called upon to connect the disconnected, yes, to Christ, but also his church, because ultimately the fullness of our experience with Christ and our faith is not just a relationship with Christ, but it is experienced within a body of believers. And so there were people in our lives, most of us, that connected us to his church. And there are people in your lives that are disconnected that need to be connected with church. Barnabas was that man for Saul. The third part of this is that Barnabas is also the man that connects Saul, who becomes known as Paul, with his cause. So Ananias connects him to Christ. Barnabas connects him to his church. 
But Barnabas also connects him uh, to his purpose, his calling that, that Jesus had, had spoken through Ananias from the very beginning. I'm going to use your life in a great way to touch so many people. But he's sitting there in Tarsus. And you get the sense already of his cause when Barnabas goes to get him because he doesn't just go to get Saul to be a part of the church. He wants him to be on leadership. And we see this in chapter 13 of Acts, the first three verses. And I want you to see what happens. And many of you are familiar with this passage. But Barnabas connects Saul with Christ's cause. And it's kind of crazy. As bold and as brash as Saul, who became Paul, was, that what, he know, what we knew of him, it's like for 13 years, really for 14 years, because they met for a whole year. He's sitting there waiting. I don't know. I, I think he's processing. Yeah, he's getting some things together. But it's like his time had not come. He needed someone that was going to walk with him into that phase of his life. And, and so notice what it says in Acts 13. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. So he's going to list the leaders, the church of Antioch. Who's the first one? Barnabas. He's the man. He came from the mother church down in Jerusalem. He came to check us out about a year ago, but he just ended up staying and teaching us to making sure we were on the right track. He's the man. But there's also Simeon, who is called Niger. He was an African man. So it, it speaks to the diversity of leadership within the Antioch church. It's a very cosmopolitan church. Lucius of Cyrene. Uh, you know, this, this is not from the Holy Land. <laughs> this, is, this is out. These are people that are kind of marginal geographically. Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And then finally, who's listed? And Saul. Pharisee, who encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. 14 years before, it had an amazing uh, experience. Been sitting in Tarsus. And he came about a year ago because Barnabas said, Hey, brother, why don't you come? Just, just help me with the church and what God's doing here. It says in verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's time. Your time of preparation is over. But notice when the Holy Spirit speaks, it says Barnabas and secondly, Saul. Both called. It says in verse 3, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And the first mission team in history is sent out to take the gospel to those who've never heard. Because here's, here's the thing behind missions. If we all stay within our circles... The gospel never expands out. So, yes, and, and right now you pastors just saying, saying to you, connect people to life who are in your sphere, your circles. But the reality is, First Baptist Church and the members that sit in this room, the day has to come. There's some days that we have to get outside of our circle because some people will never come to be connected to Christ, His church, and His cause unless some of us go. Now, that's as extreme as David Box and I 
going to Africa in the last two weeks. But there may be parts of Angelina County that if we don't go, nobody will ever reach. Aspects of our, uh, our culture here, it's not just geographic, but it's other situations in life that dictate there's no one until we say somebody's got to go out side of our circle so that everybody is reached and so Barnabas and Saul are those first two and, and the thing and I just want to say this to close is that they go out and as you read those first verses of the stories of what they did it's about Barnabas and secondarily secondarily I don't even know if that's a word now I got a little Africa fog going on in my brain make enough words uh, in the second place was Saul so it's kind of funny Luke tells the story of this first missionary journey it's Barnabas Saul Barnabas Saul Barnabas Saul but just a few days in all of a sudden the cream rises and it becomes about Saul and then secondarily about Barnabas and the day comes that Saul becomes the man there is no more influential person other than Jesus Christ than Saul of Tarsus who becomes the Apostle Paul on the church even today 2,000 years later but there had to be somebody in his life a Barnabas that said brother will you go with me I will go with you for the mission that God has called you to because he's called you to take the gospel to the Gentiles and kings, and people of authority. But there needed to be someone in his life that just said, hey, come on, here we go. Let's, let's do this together. In the midst of that, the cream rises. And Paul becomes the leader. In fact, by Acts 15, I'm pretty sure the last mention of Barnabas in the story but a lot about Paul from that day forward uh, just the way it is but Barnabas is the one who connects Saul to Christ's cause because he went with him and there are people in our lives that are connected to Christ they're connected to his church but they need people in their lives that say, hey, let's take it up to the next level. Let's, uh, let's, let's begin to live out the calling that God has on your life. And um, for us to be maximum impact Christians, we have to connect people at all phases of disconnection those who are disconnected to Christ those who are disconnected to his church and those who are disconnected to his cause we have a responsibility and what I'm asking you in these days the one thing that will propel our church into the future that God has for us is if we will give ourselves for this one thing connecting people to life and we will know in the years to come
if we're doing it on a daily basis because we'll see the results of it. And I believe that. I, I've, I told you from the first Sunday of January, I believe in you. And I believe this church, and we are going to rise uh, to a, great, a level of greater impact. But I'm telling you, it really focuses on one thing, and that is connecting the disconnected to Christ, His church, and His cause. Wherever you find people, help them walk across that line to the next phase. If you give yourself to that, just say amen this morning. Amen. amen. Some of you didn't say it. That's all right. Well, I'll ask it again next Sunday. And we'll ask everybody who didn't say amen to stay for the second sermon after the offering. I'm joking. Um, let me pray. Why don't we stand and Brother Shane's going to come and lead us. Father, we would pray that we would give our hearts and our lives to that one thing that, Father, expands your kingdom and that, Father, using our relational connections to connect people to you, your church, and your cause. And I pray that there would be such momentum and an infectious environment in our church in the days to follow uh, that, Father, it would just build. And that, Father, we would see in the years to come Every person in the Huntington area would have a relational connection to Christ, His church, and His cause. And Father, we pray it for Your glory. Father, we pray in this time, this morning, for those, uh, Father, that need to cross a line this morning. And Father, I pray for those that need to cross the line of faith to come to the place that you brought me to of saying I'm going to give up my own pursuit and I'm going to surrender myself to Christ Father I pray for others that uh, Father need to cross that line of commitment to the church to be a part of this fellowship Father I pray for others that Father you've laid on their heart how you want them to be used to make an internal impact. And I, Father, I pray today that in their hearts they would, in faith, step across that line to say, yes, here I am, use me, Lord. So, Father, we, we give this time to you. We pray that you would continue to do your work in our midst, and we pray it in Jesus' name.